Okay, good evening everyone. Broadcasting live from on September 25th, 28th, 2015. <coughs> 27th. Is it the 27th? Oh, it because the 27th. it's the 28th UTC. Oh, okay. We'll change that. Okay, so we have a quote. Ruben, would you read us the quote? Yes. The Lord approached the hermitage of the Brahmin Ramaka, where a large number of monks happened to be sitting, talking about Dhamma. He stood outside on the porch, waiting for the talk to finish, and when it had, he coughed, knocked at the bar, and the monks opened the door. He sat down on the appointed seat and asked, What were you talking about, monks? What was the talk that has just stopped? We were talking about you, Lord. Good monks, it is proper for you who are young men from good families who have gone, gone forth from home into homelessness, homelessness, that when you meet together, you speak either about the Dhamma or observe noble silence. This is actually a common uh, passage. It's not just in this one place. But it gives in... Uh, an interesting insight into the this the, one of the many conversations and um, parts of conversation that occur in the Pali Canon gives you an idea of how the how the Buddha thought and how he interacted with the monks. They say that he actually knew what they were talking about. The Buddha had such awesome powers that he knew already what they were talking about. But he would, in many times, he would ask questions even knowing the answer. And they say this is because he, he, uh, he he's out of compassion. He, he, uh, puts out the bridge. He sets out a bridge for them, meaning. And he doesn't burn. He doesn't burn his bridges. Is is what the commentary says, or what the suttas actually say, meaning uh, that he leaves them an opportunity, or he gives provides them an opportunity to learn the dhamma from from him. It's, uh, it sounds a little bit odd, but with quite because the question is, why does he even bother to go? Right? Why does he bother to go? Why does he bother to ask? Because he wants to give them an opportunity to. Uh, learn the Dhamma, and this is the beginning of a sutta, so it's a way to begin a conversation. I mean, it's it's a good way to start a conversation. What are you guys talking about? And let's talk about what you were talking about. But the uh, focus in this quote is on what he says before he actually gets into the sutta, and that's on proper speech. So there are only two things that monks should engage in in regards to speech. When we gather together, we should either talk about the Dhamma or we should not talk at all. So no sitting around chatting about football or politics. There were two monks in the Vinaya who sat around talking about politics and it's interesting because it didn't seem like they were chastised for it or it was didn't seem as though there was any problem with that. 
they were talking, they were old monks and they knew about what was going on and so they were talking about the kings and so on. I guess it, I guess it doesn't mean that it was proper, but um, it sort of it went on. And why I think of that is because in some cases worldly topics can be appropriate topics of conversation um, from the point of view of the Dhamma. You know, there's a lot to be said about things like politics, not football so much, except that it's meaningless and pointless. But for things like politics, there are there is a way to talk about it in terms of the Dhamma, make it relate to the Dhamma. What else? Economy. I mean, there are ways to talk about it. There are aspects of it that are interesting and important from a Buddhist perspective. Even sex, right? Last night we talked about sex. It was the one question that I thought was sort of unique. And uh, there's a way to explain that from a point of view of Dhamma. Speech is, because speech is action. Speech is action, not in the Buddhist sense of being karma, but it's um, a physical manifestation. Speech is physical. And in, in being physical, it's a uh, heavy, it's a weighty uh, effect of karma. So if you perform a karma in your mind, it's, it's seen, or I under, as I understand it, and it seems to be less, less potent. Right? So if you think you want to kill someone, that's a bad thing. But when you actually go and kill them, or when you even try to kill them, the effort that it takes to do the physical act, it makes it more weighty. Right? And like you notice that the five precepts, there's nothing about the mind, it's all about the physical act. Acts that are negligent and unwholesome. And so speech is, that, is like that. Speech is different from thought. And the problem is that it flows so so closely, so quickly after thought that sometimes we're not able to keep the thoughts from becoming speech. But it's an important door because once it goes through the door of speech, it enters a whole new level. Of course, there's, it goes without saying that it enters into the realm of bad, of bad feelings, you know, you say lots of stupid things, then people think you're an idiot. Or if you say nasty things, people think you're evil, you're mean. If you try to manipulate others, people will think you're greedy and jealous and so on. There's a jataka that's a really good jataka, but uh, uh, there was this there was this monk. I can't remember the origin story, but it's some some monk who who I think it's this monk who sat in the middle of the sat in the middle of the hall up on the Dhamma seat and pretending to meditate. And when, when senior monks came in, they thought he was some senior monk and so they you know paid respect to him and so on. And it turns out he had just ordained like a week ago. And so they went to the Buddha and because he, he, he said, they asked him, so what is this? What is, can you give us some instruction or, or give us some advice? And he said, what? Advice? I'm only a week, a week a monk. I've only been a monk a week or whatever, and they they get upset, of course, because if he's a junior monk, 
he has duties he has to do for visiting monks and he can't he has to forbid them from paying respect to him that's not allowed you have to say no no venerable sirs i'm junior but he let them pay respect and and didn't do any of the duties towards them that he should have uh, so they took him to the buddha and the buddha told this jataka story about a man there was once a man who had a donkey and he was a very clever sort of shrewd not a very well not a very moral person but he was a shrewd sort of guy and in order to feed his donkey what he would do is when he went into the town to sell his whatever merchandise or farming produce he had he would let his let his donkey go free in the farm in the fields the agricultural fields of the of the farmers but what he would do is he would throw a uh, a tiger skin over the donkey and like like fasten it there so from far away it would look like a tiger and then he would go and sell his wares and he did this and it worked for a while and the donkey was happily eating up all everyone's produce and then people saw the the, the tiger and they were so afraid they didn't want to go near it. they thought we can't anger it we'll just stay away but they were looking and watching and they were in awe and they were and children came out and the whole village eventually came out to see this tiger big tiger right and the donkey got all proud and thought oh these people are here to see me so he decided he'd put on a show and he opened his mouth and he brayed like a donkey and people realized that's not a that's not a tiger, and so they shot him with an arrow and killed him. But the moral of the story is, you only know someone's an ass. In, you often don't know whether someone's an ass until they open a mouth, open their mouth. I think that's the verse. The verse goes something like, uh, "Until he opens his his mouth, people will think he's a lion or think he's a lion of men. But when he opens his mouth, people know he's just an ass." That's the, uh, so I always think of that one. Because it's true, you can look like a really, there's a lot of monks, you'll go into the monastery and they're sitting like this. But you don't really know what's going on in their minds until, and until they open their mouth. Often when they open their mouth, there's, it's easier to see what's going on in their minds. So you have to be careful. The other, on the other side, it's possible to be so careful with your speech, or even so clever with your speech, that you can hide it. That you can still hide it. It's not to say that someone who speaks well is a, a good person inside. It, but it's more we have to be the moral is to be careful of your speech because it can get you in big trouble. I mean, the fact that we have unwholesomeness in the mind, that's regrettable, but it's understandable. You know, it's, it's the plight of, of humankind to have unwholesome thoughts, or thoughts, by unwholesome, I mean thoughts that could, will lead to, thoughts that lead to suffering. But uh, when they come out in, in, in acts or in speech, then they go, they enter a whole new level. That's the door that we should be careful of. At least in the beginning, it's the the first door. This is why morality comes first. The try to close the door on actions and speech that are based on our our, our unwholesome thoughts, our unskillful thoughts. 
And once you can do that, you've you've cor you've corralled it. You've corralled the mind. Then you can go in and work on the mind. If you don't corral it, the the speech is already too too. It's already on another level of of difficulty and complexity, making your life more difficult. It's very difficult to meditate when you're performing unwholesome deeds of speech and and act. It's not so difficult. It's difficult, but it's it's less of a problem to have unwholesome thoughts. You can you can meditate on those. Harder to meditate on speech, especially unwholesome speech. Why? Because unwholesome speech means a mind that's not mindful, a mind that is is greedy or angry or deluded, arrogant, conceited, and so on. Hard to be mindful then. Well, you can't be. It's it's not a mindful state. So, a little bit about, now my audio is too loud. Oh, I purposefully turned it way up. Am I peaking? Maybe I'm peaking. Clipping. Sorry about that. Am I too loud, Robin? No, that's better. I, I actually had to turn you down for a little bit there, which is unusual. Sorry. Well, yeah, I, I was looking at a, a recording or listening to something. I said, whoa, I'm very quiet, so... Just tell me if I'm too loud or too quiet, please. I, from what I from what I hear now, that sounds perfect. But mm. be good to hear from somebody that's watching it through YouTube too. So that's a little bit about speech. Interesting stuff. Do we have any questions? We, we do. Neat question mark thing. Yeah. So for anyone who wasn't here last night, if you make a Q and a colon before your question, then you get a, a nice little question mark next to it. So we know there's a question when there's a lot of text to read through. But did you see that now you don't even have to do that? What do you mean? Do you see the little green question mark on the left? Yes. Click on it. Oh. Oh, nice. I didn't yeah. notice that. So yeah. you don't even have to make a cue and a colon. Just click on the, the cue down there. That's Just great. Because it doesn't say anywhere that that's what you have to do. So That's great. If they see those, and they, how do I put that? Well, click on that. Awesome. Thank you for putting that there. Um, first question. Am I allowed? Sorry. Am I allowed to be here even though I drink alcohol sometimes? I will give it up, but it's hard at the moment. Hmm. It's interesting, you know. Um, I mean, my right away, I want to say yes, of course. But um, I guess that is. I mean, it's worth thinking about. It's an interesting question. Um, but I guess that's a good cutoff. That seems reasonable. Someone who's trying to keep the precepts, you know, because you do want to say that minimum, minimum is keeping the five precepts. But in some cases, that's not possible. So. I get it. That that makes sense. Trying to, you know, if you're trying to. On the other hand, we're not, you know, there's no um, rules for being here. This is an open, it's an open community. Um, but how we interact with you will change based on certain things, like are you meditating and are you meditating in our tradition? If you're not meditating in this tradition, um, I mean, that's actually probably more important. If you're not inclined towards the teachings of this tradition, including keeping the five precepts, 
then no, we don't want you here. But it's more inclining towards them. You know, so if you're inclining towards other teachings, please, we would rather that you go elsewhere. If you like drinking alcohol and think, think that's great, then yeah, um, that's probably a reason for us to suggest that you go elsewhere. But if you're trying to keep the five precepts, that seems like enough to me. I think especially with that one, the fifth one, it can be very difficult for some people to quit. If you need help, you know, keep in touch. I'm happy to work with people on that. It could be your sponsor. We can do a Buddhist AA. I'll be your sponsor. Okay, look, you people don't know how to... That's abuse of the question button. Those are not questions. I'm going to delete them. I've got delete power, you know. I can delete your posts. Did they delete? I think they're gone now. Hello, can someone inform me about what Buddhism has to say about the astral world one can enter and explore through meditation? Sorry, say again? Can one can one inform me about the astral world that one can enter and explore through meditation? No, we don't teach that. I have a spiritual question. Where does the voice come from? Stomach, X, or throat? I would relate X to Hinduism. However, I wouldn't know the Buddhist answer. Where does the voice come from? I don't quite understand. You mean like when you speak? We don't talk about that. It's not really, doesn't really have any bearing on Buddhism. You have to talk to a doctor. I was never able to log into the Android app. Is it only me? Um, someone else said it wasn't working today, but my Android app was working. Mm -hmm. so. Mine works fine. Was there an update to it or anything? Not recently, no. Should Maybe. be, but there hasn't been. I think there was possibly something about, um, well, I know that I had to uninstall and reinstall it a couple of times when I first <coughs> installed it, but after that, it's, it's always worked fine. Bhante, I've practiced your technique for one year and it has changed my life. Thank you so much. I recently became able to maintain concentration and mindfulness persistently through the day, but I found that after a day or two, great physical and emotional tension and pain arises. It keeps building until I intentionally return to a less concentrated mental state. Any advice? Yeah, no one ever was trying to have you attain that state of concentration. This is a classic case of what happens when you put too much, when you try to force things. That's not what we're trying to do. When you practice meditation, it shouldn't feel like anything. It shouldn't feel like you've entered a state. It's common in the beginning because that's the preconception of what it should be. You want your meditation to be stable, 
satisfying and controllable. It's not going to be like that. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing that your attempts to control are fruitless. So you have to let go eventually. That's wisdom. You're starting to see that. But it's a mistake to think that that's encouraged in our tradition to gain those states of concentration. And there's no such thing as a persistent state of mindfulness. Mindfulness is one moment. Mindfulness is the moment when you say rising or when you say falling. And so there's no trick. You have to keep doing it. You have to start all over at the very beginning every time. Every moment you start again and again and again. The concentration that you gain should feel like nothing. It should feel like you've gained no concentration. It should feel smooth. That's really the only thing is the rough patches are removed. All of the greed, anger, and delusion is worked out. That's it. Once all that's gone, it just feels smooth. And when you get so smooth that everything is clear, you're seeing everything as it is, rising, falling, sitting, touching, all those experiences, then there will be a, a, a attainment. Then you realize Nibbana. So when you feel any type of concentration, you should acknowledge it, feeling, feeling. When you feel calm, you should say calm, calm. That's not what we're looking for. When you feel pain, just say pain, pain. When you feel tense, say tense, tense. Just let it go. We're not looking for any of that. When I meditate, I feel a sort of electromagnetic energy around my head. Should I be concerned about this? You have a feeling, not an electromagnetic energy. It's a feeling. Just say feeling, feeling. This is, a, this is important. Do not extrapolate. You feel, what you feel is a feeling. It's not energy. It's not electromagnetic. That's dangerous because that being a concept, it can change. It can expand. It can intensify and become more complex as a concept. That's where you get into trouble spinning out of control. It's not really that. It can be dangerous, but it's usually not. It's just a waste of time. It gets you caught up in thinking, where is this electromagnetic energy coming from? And then you start to see colors on top of that. You see you build on it because concepts can build upon themselves. It's all imagination. The reality is a feeling. So just say feeling, feeling. It's impermanent suffering and non-self. It's not what we're looking for. It's not of any value. It's not something you should like or dislike. It's something you should experience. Let it come and let it go. Bhante, will you allow chat on YouTube for those who wish to chat? I will mod if you like. I didn't realize there was chat on YouTube. The YouTube okay. community is really scary, so anything to do with YouTube is not really all that interesting. I mean, there's obviously awesome people use YouTube. Everyone uses YouTube. But the people who leave comments... Well, no, we get lots of good comments, right? But... Yes. There's something about it that encourages wackiness, more so than like, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just per totally open, right? Anyone can see your videos and anyone can comment on them. For that reason, it's a little bit scary. And I don't know you. Why would you be the moderator? But if you can tell me a little bit more about YouTube chat, it's something I haven't heard of up until now. I wonder if he's just referring to asking questions through comments on YouTube simultaneously with the chat box here. Oh, 
Well, see, the idea was we wanted to answer questions of meditators, not answer questions of the general public, because then we get the astral travel question every time. Sorry. I mean, it's been asked dozens and dozens of times. And the drugs, can I do drugs while I meditate? And, you know, I mean, once, twice, it's interesting to answer these, but this is nicer. How should one respond to parents who slander others and engage in wrong speech as a means of communication? It seems as though not responding to one's parents would not only hurt them, but be disrespectful and therefore against the Buddhist teaching. Thank you. Well, you're not their parents, so you don't have a duty to change them. You have some kind of responsibility to be grateful to them and to try to pay them back, but... That works in in sometimes backhanded ways, or no, not backhanded, but um, oblique. I don't know what the word is. Roundabout ways. You can't directly help your parents. It's very difficult. But you can provide them an opportunity to practice the Dhamma. But it's not your job to to tell them what's right and what's wrong. Obviously you can if you think they'll listen to you. The problem is usually that they don't listen to you and they think, why is my child telling me what's right? Trying to tell me what's right. It's usually very difficult. See, it's, it's, it's very much about wisdom and understanding what's going to be the right thing to do. So yeah, you can. You can shout at your parents and tell them they're being mean and nasty, but... What's the result going to be? And what's the state? More importantly is what is the state of your mind? Do you have pure intentions? Is your mind clear and calm? And Are you enlightened? Do you understand what is the right thing to do? And I mean, obviously you understand clearly that they're doing something wrong, but are you going to approach this with wisdom or are you going to get angry at them or say nasty things to them? or Are you going to mess it up with your own delusions and your own views? Point being, is it going to have good results or is it going to encourage your own defilements? So, I mean, I'm not saying it will, but that's the sort of thing you have to consider. But generally, trying to change your parents, I think, is, is from, in, mo in most cases, very difficult and not something you should be trying to do. You should be grateful and helpful kind and loving towards your parents and supportive of them in their spiritual paths so that involves I think encouraging them in meditation but not pushing them not you know, domineering over them hello Bante is there an audio book version of your book if not would you consider making one Yeah, I thought about it. Someone was saying they had a hard time reading the book on the internet. Yeah, I mean, that's something interesting. It's, it wouldn't be that difficult. Read it as an audiobook. Sure, can do that sometime. Maybe I'll do that over reading week when we have this meditation course. That'd be nice. 
Bhante, do you still have numbness in your legs after sitting for a while? When you stand after, is it still pins and, needle, pins and needles or does it pass with time? I don't know that I ever had that. A lot of people had it, but I think it's a body type thing. I don't think everyone gets it. I may have. It's been so long now and I can't remember everything about my first course. I know I had lots of pain because my legs were up in the air like nothing, but numbness rarely i mean it's not something that's ever come to me that strongly is an arahant always in a jhana it's a good question hey you have to use the cue that's not a question question that's not a question chat you have to use the question mark um that's a good question. I don't think so. No. Hmm. Good question. No, not always in jhana. Not always in samatha jhana. No, that would be ridiculous if they were. They're not. They're not always in samatha jhana. And I think the distinction is they would still have vitaka and vichara. No, wait, wait, Vitaka and Vijara is in the first jhana. Um, no, the point of the, the Samatha jhanas are Vitaka and Vijara based on a single object. So in Arahant in normal daily life, their concentration is based on many different objects, their focus, their attention. So even though the five hindrances are gone, it's a good point, the five hindrances are gone, um, they still are not in jhana, not Samatha jhana. What motivates you to teach and help people rather than work for personal enlightenment in Thailand? Huh. Well, Thailand's not an easy place to live. It wouldn't be my first choice of places to live. If you had said Sri Lanka, it might be a more fair question because Sri Lanka is an interesting place to live. Nice place to live as a monk. But there are issues and problems there. Here is more stable. I don't have to work. Like in Thailand, every three months, every three months you have to go to the immigration and go through this rigmarole of letting them know where you are. Every year you have to go through this thing of getting signatures from all the monks and paying 1,900 baht. And then it's just so many things you have to deal with in Thailand. It's not my favorite place, not by far. But Sri Lanka is maybe is my one of my favorite places. It's just a really nice place to live as a monk. Um, why I wouldn't live there? Well, dengue was a big one. But, no, I don't know. Teaching is something that's always just come as a part of the teaching, a part of the practice for me. And when I was, my first meditation course, I'd been practicing for like two days, and then another, another meditator came, and I was asked to show him how to do the first, the first technique, how to do mindful prostration, turning, 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 how to do walking step. I had to show him as I was taught. I'd only been there a couple of days. I don't know if that uh, if that was going on with everyone, but um, you know, it's just constantly, constantly. 
one time I tried to go off in the forest and uh, just run away. I'd had enough. I'd been gotten fed up with all the failure to to start a center in Thailand again and again failure. Uh, and I was really not getting along with the monks now that I was us not using money. So I asked permission. I told Ajahn that I was going off into the forest and I was going to stop off at this meditation center just because it was on the way where I was going. And he said, okay, you he said, he said, go there and stay there and teach. Go there and teach. Uh, you teach foreigners and the head monk will teach Thai people. So he wouldn't let me get away. I could probably just run away, and I guess I have in many ways, but not really. I mean, Ajahn Tong said, if you have two or three students, that's fine, you know. Meaning it's, you don't need, the idea isn't to teach lots of people, but when there are people there to teach, you, know, you just teach them. I mean, being here in Canada is not being anywhere, really, you know. I mean, if I were to go off into the forests of Thailand, people would still be interested in learning how to practice and, you know, the Sri Lankan people there. It's really, you know, kind of a cop-out for foreign monks living in, in Sri Lanka because you're kind of taking advantage of the community. You have nothing much to offer. I mean, it's not really because people are really happy to support you and they feel proud, but it kind of wrecks the system because you can't even communicate sometimes with the people there. Some some foreign monks have really learned Sinhalese and do give talks, but many of them don't even know how to give a talk and and, and have very little, very limited Sinhalese to boot. Um but that's not really how it's supposed to go, right? I mean, you get food from these people and you live in the forest, you know, free, not having to work, not having to own your own the forest, live in a cave or whatever. People just give you these places to live and then you've got nothing to offer them. So normally you would teach them, no matter where you are. If you go to Sri Lanka, if I go to Sri Lanka, that's less possible, but not really. I mean... Last time I went to Sri Lanka, I was so busy teaching two. They were trying to get me to teach like three different places a day. It's, they have no, no compassion for monks in that country. <laughs> Not like in Thailand. I mean, the great thing about Thailand is people really respect the monks. Uh, well, you know, more so. They have a culture of respecting the monks. I've had Sinhalese people yell at me. I guess I like Canada because of the culture. It's easy to fit in. I mean, I don't find it a big um, burden to have to teach here. Teaching isn't really a burden, in fact. I mean, teaching is a way of staying, it's a way of doing wholesomeness, you know. It's a support for your practice, if anything. Keeps you on your toes, keeps you practicing. Are prayer beads, malas, used within Theravada Buddhism? I've been using them to count breaths during meditation, and it is very helpful. That's not what we practice. There are techniques and traditions that do that. We don't count breaths. That's samatha meditation, for sure. 
Bhante, why are the five precepts and sati important during upasata? We take the eight precepts during the upasata, actually, not just five. Five precepts are always important. But And sati actually is also important as well, so there's nothing about the upasata that makes them more important. Satim chukohang pikave sabatikang vadam. Sati is always important. Same with the five precepts. Is there a time limit for a meditation session? Could one meditate for three hours nonstop? I don't know how to make the question mark. There's a big question mark button on the left. You click it, and it puts a Q colon space in your question, in your chat. I guess that wasn't clear, made clear, but... Meditate for three hours nonstop. It's not recommended. It's more recommended that you switch up. Do some walking as well. Walking first, then sitting. Walking first and then sitting. And back and forth and back and forth. One hour max. One hour max each. But absolutely you can. I mean, there are traditions that do it. Even in the Mahasi Sayada tradition, some monks will sit. One monk said he could sit mindfully for 12 hours. So you can try for that. Since I decided to stop sexual seeking, I've gotten more positive attention from the opposite sex. Is this a result of negative karma? Or perhaps it's positive karma. Any thoughts? Probably positive, a result of positive karma. You're more radiant, right? You're more at peace, you're more confident, you're less desperate. People can appreciate that. You know, it's I think it's part of this playing hard to get. It's not not even exactly hard to get. It's the confidence and the the power in in uh, being strong, you know, in in not wavering, in not bending to the impulses or you know, bending to the the visions of other people, you know, the sign of a man, the sign of a woman, the sign of sexuality. There's a power that comes from it, so there's a radiance as well. There are women in Thailand who apparently go after monks and take it as a game to try and disrobe them because it's it's just so much, it's such a it's like wild fruit or fresh fruit off the off the tree or something. What are your thoughts on teachers such as Jack Cornfield and Thich Nhat Hanh and their teaching of the Dhamma to the Western world? I don't have many thoughts on those two people. I could probably say, you know, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking that it's not really our teaching. It's a different tradition, and I'm not, it's not the kind of thing that I would say, hey, go practice what they teach. But if people are practicing what they teach, I would say, well, that's all wholesome, good stuff. It's just a different tradition. Hard for me to say whether it's better or worse, because I don't know enough about them. Yeah, I think... Um... Charlie noted that the uh, question mark icon is not on the Android app. Good point. Yeah, Very I think it's using it. Yeah, I think you can just still put a question mark though. It would, I mm. mean, 
you can still put the um, the queue. That yeah. would still, you know, make it clear what's what. How would you respond to people who say that meditation is just a placebo? Okay, now we have a yellow question mark. Oh, this person is meditating with us, so okay, power to you. How would you respond to people who say that meditation is just a placebo? It's funny. Placebo in that it doesn't actually cure mental illness. It just makes you feel good. Well, some meditation does just make you feel good. Some meditation does actually change mental illness. What is mental illness? I mean, there is the organic aspect, but let's take a mental illness like OCD that someone has developed over the years as a bad habit, or take any bad habit that someone has developed. It's been developed. People who have anger issues develop them. They aren't born with anger. You know, we're born with anger, but they're not born with the problem of, you know, being mean and nasty. It's a habit that you learn. And being a habit that you learn, there's no reason to think that you couldn't unlearn it or learn a new habit, a different habit, a different way of behaving. And I think that is, you know, that's definitely borne out by hundreds of years of study. So, um, you know, there's no reason to think that there are not ways to change your habits. So there are many types of meditation that are involved with creating new habits. Jack Cornfield was a student of Mahasi Sayadaw, according to Wikipedia. He was, but then he left that tradition, I think, mm -hmm. if, if I understand correctly. Yeah, I, I think I remember him having a lot of different teachers. He was listed as a student of multiple people. Mm. I have a question. Mm -hmm. I know that you, um, I believe you have it as a rule for meditators not to speak to one another about their meditation experiences. And now that there are so many people in this community, they're, you know, going and, and having their weekly session with you and so forth. Um, did you just want to talk about why that is, what what we're trying to avoid by not discussing meditation experiences with, with fellow meditators? Well, then everyone else is going to be expecting it, be looking for it, you know. Well, this happened to me, so when this happened to them, so when's it going to happen to me? That's about it. Um, I mean, what worse is when people discuss their meditation. See, when they do it at home, they discuss their meditation tech, um, experiences with others, then they try to give each other advice, you know, and they affect each other and they set each other on the wrong path. That's what um, is of more danger, I think. People who are unqualified to teach, try to teach, try to give advice. Thank you, Bhante. I think we're all caught up on questions. All right, let's quit while we're ahead. And um, someday I'll, sometime we'll update the Android app. Not that many people use it, but... And we're going to try to make a way so that people can uh, upvote chat messages. So if someone says something that you like, you can give them a thumbs up. We'll have to figure out how to do that. I'm working on it right now. Do you have time for one more question? 
All right, one more. Okay. Is it normal to feel pressure on your head while meditating, or am I doing something wrong? There's no normal. It's impermanent. Life is impermanent. Reality is impermanent. Doing something wrong, yeah, you could be doing something wrong, but that's not really the most important thing. Important is to learn. It's not important for me to tell you that you're doing something wrong. It's for you to learn what you're doing right and what you're wrong, doing wrong. If you're not an arahant, you're still doing something wrong. So it's the practice is to learn what you're doing, learn about what you're doing, so you can find out for yourself what is wrong and what is right. Why is Muddy saying I'm sorry? What did he do? What did he do wrong? He he might have been talking about his meditation experience in chat. Oh. But you know that's why I ask these things because it's good. It's kind of good to get it out in the open and and just so everybody understands. Um, yeah, better not to. The reason for it makes sense. Okay. okay. Thank you all. Have a good night. See you Thank tomorrow. You. Thank you, Bhante. Good night. And see us tomorrow. Good night. Good night.